Hey folks, it's Dylan here. Welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. In this episode, we're talking elk, and more specifically, we're talking elk calling. I've asked uh, Bill Ayer of Slayer Calls to come join me and talk about his journey to start building uh, duck calls and more recently elk calls, and then some of the sort of more recent technology changes to help uh, make elk calling a little bit more accessible. I found it, I found their stuff because I was looking for an alternative to help improve my elk calling technique. I was a little bit humbled on my elk hunt last year because uh, a couple of my buddies who I was who I was hunting with each had much better calling techniques than than I did. They they both used the a, a mouth diaphragm and a tube, and this the the vocabulary they're able to produce uh, with that mouth diaphragm really just had better results than I was able to get with the tools that I was using and with my sort of repertoire of elk calling skills. Um, so I really wanted to improve. Having said that, I can't use a mouth diaphragm very easily, or at least I don't get consistent results out of it. So I've always opted to go with um, sort of external like tube and um, handheld calls that produce consistent sounds, which you know I rely more on my setup than I do the actual calling. And that's where I've had my success as an elk hunter. So we kind of get into that in this podcast, just some of the tools that are available for folks like like me who are um, looking for alternatives to a mouth read, but also the benefits of the vocabulary you can get from a mouth read call. So you'll enjoy this. You'll enjoy this episode if you're interested and want to learn about, about elk hunting and elk calling. Now, if you are on your journey to become an elk hunter, uh, I sat down with my friend, uh, Mike Bridger. He's a wildlife biologist here in BC, and we put together uh, a comprehensive guide for how to hunt elk in BC. So it's kind of about like where to hunt elk, when to hunt elk, uh, techniques that you can use to be a successful elk hunter, uh, some e-scouting uh, bits for specifically for here in BC. So I built all that into an online course. So if you're interested in, you know, getting the foundation for learning how to hunt elk, you should check out the Eat Wild Learn to Hunt Elk program. And uh, you can find that on our website or on our Eat Wild Thinkific platform. So that's pretty cool. All right. I was just thinking about it's LEH season and we got, I got a, I got a moose draw this year, which is exciting. So we're going to be uh, uh, heading up to the north for a, for a moose hunt with some good friends. Uh, now, the only thing that happened is I actually, I, I actually put in the wrong or the wrong draw code. So I actually, we got drawn for an, for an elk hunt that isn't, or sorry, a moose hunt where it's not exactly where I thought it would be. So, so, what I, what I, so I now in the process of researching a new uh, moose hunt. And uh, so, so here's my eye hunter scouting tip of the week. Here I am scouting for my own moose hunt and I'm having to figure out where the heck did I actually win this moose draw? Well, in the eye hunter app, one of the tools that you're able to utilize, which is super helpful, is they have a layer for the limited entry hunting uh, mapping quadrants or or areas now with the with our limited entry hunting regulations they will break up a management unit into lots of little units so for example if you're in let's say five five two right for, uh, management five dash two there might be several different areas uh within that management unit five two a five two b five two c that reflect the different leh areas that, that that can be drawn so trying to actually map out where those spots are in like on an actual map yeah it, you're it's super helpful to be able to go into the app bring up the layer and that layer will that'll overlay over top of your map so you can see exactly your hunt zone and know the exact boundaries it's much easier than sort of translating the boundaries from the map that's provided on the leh website and then trying to interpret it on a second map you can actually import that layer right into your mapping software and you can build your hunt plan accordingly so anyways as it turns out looks like we got a good spot that we're going to be able to go hunt um lots of lots of cool pockets of moose habitat so i think we're in for a good hunt no doubt you'll hear about more about that uh, later on in the hunting season but for now we're talking elk and i'm going to bring on bill here and super excited to be talking to bill air from slayer calls let's go
Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Well, Bill, thanks thanks so much for joining us on the Eat Wild podcast. I've been looking forward to connecting with you. I'm kind of getting excited. It's you know, we're, we're we're a couple of months away from what is officially elk season, so I'm um, starting to think about practicing my calling and going through that prep of all, all things ahead of the hunting season. And uh, and through that process, I kind of stumbled on Slayer calls and some of the innovations that you guys have done in elk calling. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later, but I'm pleased to have you on. Thanks for joining us here, Bill. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll start you out with what's your favorite species to hunt and why? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Dylan. I appreciate it. Uh, looking, I always look forward to these these talks. But uh, yeah, as far as what my favorite species to hunt, it, it's a toss-up between waterfowl uh, and elk. You know, I, I have a, a deep passion and, and desire to go and, and muck. Uh, mostly duck hunt over water. I just, there's something about it that I, I love. And then there's something about chasing a bull elk in the month of September during the rut. Like, you know, they, to me, it's, it's equal. It's a different, it's, it's very similar in some ways and very different in other ways. And I love the both aspects of both of those species. So cool. Where, whereabouts are you located? I'm in uh, Eagle, Idaho. So it's oh, about 25 minutes, I would say a little north. Uh, west of, of Boise, Idaho. So does that put you in, that's, I mean, I'm just assuming that's prime elk country. Um, so. uh, you know, where I live, I'm in the, right at the base of the foothills. So, you know, I could go an hour in almost any direction and be an elk. Wow. Yeah. Dreamy, dreamy. And it's, and what about waterfall? Is, is, are you guys on a flyway there? Uh, we have a, it's not a, a great, you know, I wouldn't consider it the Pacific flyway or the, the central flyway, but we do get some regi- residual, uh, waterfowl that come off the, the edges of the Pacific flyway out of Alberta. So, you know, I think 1.5 million waterfowl winter down in California and, uh, and south of there. Um, you know, I'm not sure how many come down the central flyway, but here, you know, it's probably 40, 70,000 birds that come through this area. It's probably so it's, it's much smaller but you know also the the bodies of water are are more condensed so you, you get pretty good opportunities here right on right on okay well so with that maybe you could tell me a little bit about your journey into building uh duck calls and eventually elk calls and and how, how did you end up here on the podcast sort of <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know, I, I grew up in central California. Um, you know, my dad was toting me along pheasant hunting from the time I could walk. And uh, so I, at a very early age, got an interest in hunting. Um, my grandfather was a uh, f- custom furniture maker from uh, Sicily. You know, he came into New York. He actually had a baking business during the Depression. He lost that, came to the Western, uh, came to California and started a custom furniture business. And so, you know, he worked with wood, worked with his hands. My uh, uncle, uh, Angelo Luoni, he was a cobbler, uh, I think third generation cobbler. Uh, his parents were from Northern Italy and my dad was a steel worker. So uh, I came, came from a, you know, kind of blue collar uh, family with men who, who did things with their hands, did the, the old way. And so I always had a fascination with it. So Fast forward, I have a passion for hunting and fishing. Um, I played sports my whole life and got a scholarship to college to play football. And when that was over, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> you know, I know I wanted to make some money and, and continue my, my passion for, for the outdoors, but wasn't sure, you know, what I was going to do for work. So spent a lot of years, you know, 22 years in the software business just because that's, you know, I grew up in the Silicon Valley and that was kind of the hot thing at the time. So I, did that made money but wasn't ever fulfilled you know i just did it for work but wasn't fulfilled and to kind of clear my mind and uh kind of take away the stress i'd go out in the garage you know i bought a lathe and 
started to turn wood and, you know, thought about my grandfather who had passed away, you know, long, you know, many years before I was an adult. But, uh, you know, thinking about the men in my family, I just, you know, I, some, some way it was in my blood. So I started turning, uh, duck calls and, you know, for the first five years of doing that, you know, none of them I think were any good, but uh, kept getting better and better and better. I stayed, you know, pretty, uh, persistent at it and, uh, they kept getting better. And so about eight years ago, I started selling them, you know, as a hobby and just to make a little extra cash, uh, just for fun. And then, uh, about two, almost three and a half years ago, decided to get serious, um, got out of the software business and went full-time Slayer. And so started to make uh, duck calls, goose calls. Um, then we got into elk calls and turkey calls and then uh, starting to dabble in predator calls. Oh, right on. Right on. Yeah. So what have you learned about like, well, I'm, I have a bunch of questions about wood, wooden calls and stuff, but I'm going to hold off on that for a little bit, but we'll get a little bit. We'll just go, get into elk here a little bit. Cause that's what we're trying to get. I'm excited about and what we're talking about. Um, what have you learned about calling elk over the years of, of on, on, on your path to hunting elk, as, particularly as it relates uh, to calling them? Yeah. For, for me, it's been a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, probably more error than, than, uh, success but you know as as you get more proficient at it as you get more experiences under your belt you get better and better at it um i feel like every situation is its own situation like it's hard to say you know do this one thing or do these three things and it'll work every single time um every animal is different every the terrain is different the wind is different the amount of cows and bulls they have in the area is different um so it's really um being able to read the situation and put the right sequence in place to close the deal. Um, you know, is it a bull with very limited competition that has, you know, 20 cows with them? Is it a high competition area where there's, you know, two, two, uh, herd bulls and 30 satellite bulls with five cows? Um, is the train somewhat flat? Do you have a lot of steep ridges and valleys and draws and things like that? So, um, it's hard to, to give a, a one sentence answer to like this, this will work. I, I was just sort of like, <laughs> I was just gonna, I was sort of looking for something like, Oh, elk hunting is really hard. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what, I, what I've learned over the years is elk, elk hunting is really yeah. hard and it's different with every elk. And I think that's probably the best answer is that it takes a bit of learning and, and a lot more mistakes. Um, so that all, that all resonates with me. And I think that's a great place to start talking about elk hunting is there's no one answer you know, one right answer to how to do stuff, but there's maybe a couple things that you shouldn't do. (laughs) And we can talk about those, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's some very basics, right? Like you always, 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 always have to have the wind in your favor, no matter what, you know, if there's terrain blocking you from getting to the right approach, um, then you do back out until you get the right situation where you can get the wind in your advantage. You know, I've made that mistake, right? Well, if I just kind of slither into the side here, the wind won't mess, and then boom, you blow them out, right? Like, so I mean, there's there's very basics, right? Like, and then another one, you know, that I've learned over the years is that if you can get on high, you know, get to high ground or at least even with them, um, to call them in, that is goes to your advantage. Trying to you know call a bull down to you is you know you can do it and it happens, but the odds aren't in your favor. Um, so there's things like that that are just, you know, some staples that you want to, to live by, but, um, but every situation is going to be different, you know? And, and that's the thing, like when we're talking about new people getting into it, like they got to understand it's hard, you know, I don't want to deter anybody from getting into the sport, but that what's, that's what makes it fun is the, the logistics of it, the trying to outsmart this animal that has all these keen senses that are so much better than ours to stay alive every day against bears and wolves and mountain lions and people. Right. And to outwit them, outsmart them and, and use the terrain and, and your smarts in your favor to try to outsmart them is that's the fun of the game. Yeah. And they've often got a team working together to try and outsmart. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. The, you know, harder. There could be, there could be 40 eyeballs and 20 noses and, yeah, you know, totally. and uh, 40 ears listening for you. Right. So, yeah, and it's, I, I was just when you said the whole thing about you know you can't get an elk. It's very difficult to get an elk to call 
calm down on down on you and I, i've got this like nemesis elk it's not the same elk but it's the same spot that a bull elk lives year over year when we're in there and uh he's just like in this like really difficult spot you can't really get above him like there's nowhere to go above him to draw him up to you and it's also super steep and i'm too lazy to go way up there i just keep thinking one of these days i'm gonna get him to pull down <laughs> into this spot <laughs> so i always try and holler at him and try to get him down but i've yet to call him down um but uh, it's the same mistake i keep making i gotta just toughen up and go above him and try and get after him that way but um nonetheless i what was your um what was your first elk call and, and what did you like about it uh first elk call was we we came out with a tube um and then we came out with reeds and then we came out with the enchantress uh we will be releasing a new frame for our reeds um but i would uh, you know the tube is it's a 21 and a half inch tube that's about four inches in diameter um that was our first tube that we came out with but what we did is we put acrylic you know there's there's an eight piece of eight inch piece of acrylic that runs runs down the handle and people are like oh it just looks good and just makes it you know you just put it on there to make it look fancy um but that's that's 100 percent not why we put it on there so in the waterfowl industry for the last 60 70 years they've been using acrylic and the reason for it is it holds up really well to weather um but more importantly it's a super good uh, material for acoustics okay you know outside of like crystal or glass it's probably the second best uh, material for for acoustics and so you, you don't want to walk around with glass in your hand so acrylics the next best thing and so that that's one of the things it cleans out that plasticky sound that a lot of tubes have or most tubes if not all plastic tubes and it also resonates a lot better to give more earthy tones like a like a bull elk um and then the second thing that it does is we took you know imagine blowing through a big hole um you dump your air very quickly you blow through a smaller hole um you retain your air which which is called back pressure you retain that air and you're able to utilize your air much better and much longer and operate the reed more efficiently so it allows you to be a better caller um than if you're blown through the standard you know one inch hole um that most all tubes have so we took that that's another thing that is waterfowl technology is back pressure so if you create back pressure with the tone channel on a duck call you create back pressure with your hand on a goose call and so i was thinking of that idea because that back pressure allows you to utilize that that mylar reed that's in the duck call or goose car call and so i'm like well there's no difference here we're using our tongue on a reed Mm-hmm. And we're using back pressure to be more efficient and better at using that read. Yeah. So you put all those together, you get better sound from the acrylic and you get better use of your read, better use of your air, your better out caller through that tube. Okay. So when you say a tube, like I, 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 I have one of the, the, the L calls that I first started using, actually the first L call I used was like a, like a, corrugated straw that you would blow through and it could depending on the pressure you could create three tones out of it and it it, i called in my first elk with that and it was like i bought it at a 7-eleven gas station you know and and just wrapped it in a circle because i uh, a friend of mine had this really it had a metal corrugated tube that that was just a fuse um had a uh, couple wraps in it and was able to make a really nice sound out of it so I was replicating that with what I had, and it actually worked well. Worked well enough to get an elk in, uh, but it just didn't project at all. Um, so when you, when you say two, are you talking more like the the next one I went to was the um, uh, I think the Primos had a had, had one of the early uh, bugle tubes with a little plastic uh, reed on it, and uh, was it was it the blue like latex yeah. on the end of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the very first one I used. Okay. And I struggled with, yeah. I could never really consist, I, I, I struggled with that one because I could never get a consistent elk bugle out of it. I could, every once in a while, I could rip a real nice bugle with it. Um, but then I'd be in, you know, have an elk coming in and I want to move them or do something different. And I just, just can't yeah. even get a sound out of it sometimes when I'm all fired up. But Yeah. Yeah. That was the very first tube I ever bought. And I actually called in my first bull elk with that and killed it with that tube. 
So um, it's kind of near and dear to my heart just because it was, you know, that first elk on with a bow. So it was pretty special. But yeah, it's funny because anybody who's blown that thing, you could tell they're blown. It had that like, I don't know, it's hard to explain that sound it has, but it's, like, it's almost like a water weenie type thing sound to it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a hollowy, whistly sound. That yeah, yeah. It gets yeah. one of the, like there's a few things about a, like an elk bugle, that there's a few elements of it. When you hear an elk bugle, you're like, oh, that's an elk. And I think the power bugle does get one of them really well. And I wouldn't be able to describe it well enough on without, you know, playing with the call itself. But, you know, I think there's elements that it does really well. The one that I, I kind of landed on in my comfort zone is the power bugle. Are you familiar with the power bugle system? Yep. yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. And um, that one is, you know, I, I find I can do consistent bugling. Um, and But I also think I sound like every other hunter out there because I think it's probably the most adopted, at least in our part of the world. Um, and and that's sort of, I guess, a plastic, what would you call that, a latex reed or just a rubber band? Yeah, kinda? I just call that uh, an external uh, reed, and it's, it's usually it's latex of some sort, you know, same with that uh, Primo's call. Um, and that's actually those two calls is what gave us the idea for the Enchantress um, because I felt like they weren't real versatile. They're kind of, you know, you get, you know, a couple sounds out of it, and they're then they're good at it, and you definitely kill bulls. I mean, the, the proofs in the pudding that it's been done. Um, but that's, I wanted to create a call that can do it all, you know, not just, you know, bugle, right. It can cow call, calf call, estrus buzz. It could, it could bugle, it could lip ball bugle. Um, and that's where we came out with the enchantress. Yeah. That's what kind of got me excited. So the other, so the missing piece for me as an elk caller has always been, I I've always struggled with, well, by far the best, elk callers are using um mouth diaphragms and yeah and maybe you can tell us why the why that's you know we can hear those incredible elk calling displays or with the diaphragm and how come that seems to work best to kind of capture the full range of an elk of an elk bugle well i i just think you have a lot more control right you can move that reed forward in your mouth back in your mouth you can place your tongue on different places of that you know, very easily place your tongue on different parts of the latex. Um, you could use different parts of your tongue to operate it. So you just have so much more versatility with that reed in your mouth. Then you could also then utilize um, your voice, right? So you're blowing diaphragm air, but then you could blow a clean, crisp note, but then you could throw a voice into it in that note, right? So it's like, right? So you throw your voice into it while operating the reed. So it gives it those deep, earthy, bassy sounds. Um, and then you could suck your air back, right? So like on the, the power bugle or those external reeds, it's really hard to get a good sounding chuckle or um, anything like that, right? Because you're trying to suck that air back and you have to have your lips just perfect on it to get a buzz going, but it's still not that big thump, you know, like that, right. It's, you're not getting that like a bull does, you know, 700 pound bull, huge lugs sucking back in and and chuckling. So, um, you just, you got much more versatility with that mouth read. Yeah. And I think that's, so, I mean, one of the reasons why I I think I I mentioned to you on our quick call yesterday, I was like, I I went hunting last year. Well, I'll give you the bit of the whole, whole story of the context for listeners and for you, like, um, I've hunted elk for probably 20 years and the first 15 years of elk were, we were going hundred percent on our, our hunts and we had successful hunts, one or two elk between my hunting partner and I. And then the last like five years has gotten a way harder. And I think it's for a couple reasons. One, one is because, um, it, you know, there's just more competition where we're hunting. There was a big die off in the elk, the area that we we're hunting as well. So between that and ex- extra hunting pressure and, and actually my hunting partner is sort of semi-retired too. He's just getting older. So don't have that. When you have a good elk hunting partner that knows what you're doing when you're doing it and you can team up and sneak in on elk yep. together, it's a real cool thing. And trying to get somebody else to think like you and when you're, you know, we were able to figure that out together and we got real good at it. Um, so I'm, I'm soloing now or hunting with new hunting partners. So that's a bit different, but I think it's largely because of the hunting pressure and the, and the fewer elk. And I think that's just changed like how easy it is to hunt elk. And so the last five years we've struggled to get, well, we've got a few elk, but not in the same, 
uh, like, yeah, not the same undisturbed elk hunting experiences that we maybe were blessed with prior to that. Um, so on this blast hunting trip, I was hunting with a couple, well, one very experienced hunter, a friend of mine and a new elk hunter. And we went to, we were hunting elk in, in the, in, in Burr's Columbia here in the Northern Rockies in a good zone. And, uh, what I, what I found was like, I, I was able to engage with elk as, as, as usual, but what I was really impressed by was, first of all, my hunting partner has never hunted elk before, um, had a mouth read. And was just like ripping really sharp bugles. It just sounded like the elk. I was like, how is it possible that you've been hunting for like, that you haven't even been hunting and here you are a better elk caller than me. That's, that was one thing I was like, okay, well, I got to step up my game. Um, because if you can call elk that good with limited practice and experience that I really need to take another look at my approach. The second piece was I was hunting with a bow hunter and my whole program is kind of set up for pull an elk into within a hundred yards so I can shoot them. Like I haven't even thought about trying to get an elk to within 25 yards. So this whole other sort of escalation of probably technique I need to develop to just sound that much more persuasive to bring elk in. So I've kind of been on this journey to, to get better at calling elk because I've kind of gotten away with it pretty much got off, you know, got away with out having to really think about it beyond using the, Primo's Hoochie Mama, which is a relatively easy call to use, the, yeah. the power bugle, and just really developing my setups and me more focused on the the setup as opposed to the calling sequence. It's uh, So that kind of got me excited thinking about it. Now, the barrier for me to get better has been every time I put a, a mouth read in, I just, like, I, I just can't consistently make a good sound with it. And by the time I even kind of get anywhere with it, I find that the, the latex is broken down and it's kind of just, you know, I feel like I'm going through them really quickly without even getting anywhere. And, uh, and I've just kind of, I would say, kind of was given up on it. And then I stumbled across uh, a, 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 an ad from you guys with, a, with the Enchantress, which is kind of maybe, maybe a bit of a breakthrough in the technology to help people like me who are you know, getting frustrated or have inability to blow a mouth read. And are kind of stuck in 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 their development of elk calling. So that's my story. That's yeah, that, yeah. Well, I mean, that's. Ex I mean, you want to know how many times I've heard that story? Because you know, in the last what four or five years working uh, shows, I get to talk to hundreds and thousands of people to about hunting, right? And then everybody wants to talk about hunting, and I, I love to have those conversations and. Uh, and, you know, over and over again, I got a gag reflex. I cannot put that thing in my mouth or I saw gag. I have false teeth. You know, I got kicked by a horse. I came off a horse and uh, lost my teeth. So when I try to blow with a reed in my mouth, my teeth want to come out. Um, I just can't figure it out. Like, I've been trying for three years and I just cannot figure it out. Like, I've given up on it. You know, I've heard I've heard everything, um, you know, of, of and I found that it's probably 80% of the people aren't they just can't do it and then i i find that that of the 20 percent of the people only five percent are really efficient mm -hmm. at it and the other 15 percent think they're good but they're really not mm -hmm. right yeah and uh so i'm like there we've got to design something for those those folks because they want to hunt they want to be a caller that you know they and, and i want them to be successful at doing it there's something special about being the one calling and calling that animal in and so I was like, I have to design something that will help these folks out. And that's, we put, you know, for the last three years, we were designing this Enchantress. I'm like, what I want to do is take the reed out of the mouth and put it in some contraption and make everything in that contraption work just like the mouth does. So that's what we did. We took the diaphragm without the tape. We put it in into the Enchantress. We sat there like weirdos filling <laughs> our freaking filling our tongues, like the texture of it, the hardness of it. So I'm like, well, silicone, you know, there's gotta be a heart, you know, a, uh, a hardness of silicone that matches the tongue. So we found the, the right texture, the right hardness of, uh, what drometer we wanted to use for the silicone. The great thing about silicone too, there's only one glue in the world that will stick to it and it doesn't stick very good. So when that silicone operates the reed, it doesn't stick to it. Hmm. Right, so when you get wet or whatever, or it gets dry, the the latex won't stick to that silicone. It's the exact same texture of our tongue. It's shaped just like the tongue should be, 
So that now you don't have to worry about the shape of your tongue because some people just can't get that shape to hit the latex correctly to get high notes or to get a note at all. Mm-hmm. So we've, we, we we sat there again <laughs> looking in each other's mouths like, what's the tongue look like? You know, like Cody McCarthy, he's part of our team. He's a world champion elk caller. His dad finished fourth last year. So we, I looked, I said, what are you guys doing differently than everybody else? And I'm looking at their tongue. And so we shape that silicone to be exactly the shape of your tongue should be and how it should be hitting that latex. So now you're just pushing that button and that tongue's hitting the latex, just like your tongue would be doing in your mouth and creating that vibration to create those, those sounds. And I believe it makes of all the push button or external calls makes the most lifelike uh, calf, 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 cow, or estrus buzz. Um, it makes a really good location bugle. It does a really good lip ball bugle, a roundup bugle, challenge bugle. The only thing it does not do is um, you can't chuckle out of it. Mm-hmm. And so that that's that's the one thing that we haven't figured out yet. So yeah, but I'm really impressed with the amount of vocal you can add to it. Like you can buzz yep. and you can grunt and growl and you know you know and. I think that's something that I could, that's really what differentiates the power bugle. Like when I hear a power bugle in the woods, I'm like, that's a power bugle. I'm pretty sure. Whereas when I a good elk caller who's going and they get those grunts and growls built into the bugle, then I'm like, Oh, I pretty yeah. sure that's an elk. And, and yeah. And so, yeah. So yeah, you know, so I've been really, so that in the short time that I've been playing with this unit, I've been pretty excited that I can yeah, really increase my options already um, with, with that, uh, you know, innovation, which is pretty exciting. And I'm looking forward to really developing a little, you know, more, more range and, and more, uh, a little bit more technique, which is exciting. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, I would, you know, just if new callers are out there listening to, I think a mistake people make is they just go straight into a high note, they hold a high note and then they just, the high note stops. Um, if you listen to a bowl, it starts with a deep guttural sound. It works into the high note and then it ends with a right? Like a um, And so anytime in the woods and I hear a bugle, if it doesn't start that way or end that way, I'm very suspicious that it's not, it's a person and not a, an elk. And so it is, it's that you could do that with the enchantress. It's whoa. Yeah. Right. And when you drop off, it's whoa. And it gives that guttural sound. And, you know, Elk doesn't do that every single time. I've heard him start just with a high note, clean note, end with a clean note. Um, but if you want to put some emotion into it, you can with the Enchantress. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, no, it's that it's definitely got a different, yeah. It's And as I was saying, like earlier, like there's two or three elements of that Elk, what an Elk Bugle sounds like. And you kind of nailed two, like the other two, which is the, the, the clean whistle, but then the, the end when it drops off and with a bit of an exhaust, like that's all hard to replicate and it's a lot to do. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to remember. Now, I think it's also important to say that, and you know, the, not all of this stuff, you know, this is maybe the next question is like, when you're talking to a new elk caller, uh, you know, what, what should they be focusing on with their bugling? Cause they're not necessarily going to get all of this built in. What's the basic place you would sort of encourage someone to start and and maybe we'll start with with the, with the tools that someone should start with, and then the calling effort or uh, focus they should they should have. Yeah, I'll try to keep it simple because <laughs> uh, I have a lot of ideas around that. I mean, for anybody to be successful at anything, let's just start there. Like just basic, just basics, right? Not outside of anything, right? If you want to be successful at anything, you have to be obsessed about it. You have to be 100% focused at it. And you have to put a, a ton, just a shit ton of hours into it. Um, nothing comes easy. I was taught that by my mom, right? Like, there's no free lunches in this world. Um, some people have God-given talents. And they just, like you said, maybe your buddy picked up a read and was just fantastic at it, you know, day one. But there's very few people in the world that are like that. So whether it be baseball, football, basketball, you know, um, business, uh, if you're going to be good at anything, you have to just put a ton of effort and focus into it and daily focus. And you have to study. You have to be a good student of the game or the art or the craft. Um, And so we offer, you know, I'm not trying to sell our services on this at all, 
but we offer call the wild. And so Cody goes through step-by-step 16 series of where to start. So where to, you know, let's start really, really basic because it's just like a baseball swing. If you start creating a bad habit from the, from the time you're five years old, by the time you're eight, it's hard to break that habit. Mm -hmm. So where to place that read, how to use your tongue and then how to just to make a noise, right? Step-by-step because I can I can tell you this for the first five years of using a mouth read I had it way forward I was using the point of my tongue to try to get a sound and that's not what to do now I put that read pretty far back into my mouth and I'm using I'm using the middle of my tongue to operate that read and so it's hard for me to still do it that way because for so long I I created a bad habit and my my instincts wants to put it up when you know the pressure's on you know, your, your adrenaline's going, you're chasing a bull. My, my instincts wants to put it in the wrong place. It's because I created that bad habit. So take a step back, you know, be a student. And, you know, if you want to be good at it, practice and, and go to places where you can get good information. You know, we have called a wild that will teach you to blow a mouth read. Um, there's people like Corey Jacobson that has the elk 101 stuff. Um, you can go to his thing. He's got, I mean, he's a great elk hunter. He's got great content. Um, you got elk nut out there. Um, who's not far from us here, about two hours North of us, um, who goes not so much into the calling, but into situational and sequence type stuff. Um, it's like reading, it's like, if you were going to go into business, you wouldn't read one book and be like, okay, I'm good. Let's go. I'm good for the next 20 years. And I'm just going to be the best business person in the world. You read hundreds of books, you go to hundreds of seminars, you go to, you know, you get a mentor, right? And you have a business professional coach that helps you, right? You, you do all these things to one day, hopefully be successful at business. And so a new hunter, like this is, this is, it's not like, it's not easy. And I don't want to fool anybody into it. Cause when I first got into it, I was like, Oh, this is easy, you know? And, and, uh, and I was like, oh, that's not really that easy. And so I don't want anybody to get discouraged by it. But I also want to know that it could be a, a really fun journey. The people that you meet, you know, at these seminars, the people that you meet, like, you know, we go to these archery challenges, these 3D courses. I mean, some of the nicest people you'll ever meet in, the, in your life. And everybody is so willing to help, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, that's when I got into archery shooting, I, I belonged to a club. I went up there by myself. and guys were just kind of, you know, taking me under their arms, say, Hey, why don't you, you know, this is, you know, you're doing it wrong. Why don't you try doing it this way and help me become a better archer. But, uh, so again, there's no simple, easy way, no simple answer. And there's no easy way to, to explain it, but you have to dive in. There's all, you know, all kinds of material out there, some good, some not so good. Um, but we're trying to help people be successful in the woods. And that's why we developed the call of the wild. We're trying to develop easier calls to use, you know, so the things I would get is I would, I would pick three, three mentors like Slayer, Corey Jacobson, and maybe somebody else. Right. Um, and say, okay, these are the kind of three folks I'm going to follow and kind of digest their information. I'm going to find somebody on the ground that could help me get into it, a mentor, somebody who's been, you know, hunting for 20, 30 years, who's been successful, who's willing to, you know, kind of show me around a little bit. Um, and then I would, I would buy something like the Enchantress doesn't have to be Enchantress, but I'd buy something that's easier to use external call, mm-hmm. um, for bugling to get started. And then I would buy some mouth reads and I would take, I would, I'd take courses, you know, online, learn good you know, habits from the get go. And I would learn to try to be proficient with the mouth read to eventually move to that direction off of an external call. Um, So that's kind of the basics, kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but. No, I, 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 hundred percent. I mean, I think that's the, the, the hardest, I mean, I think the other way of people do it, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well as you, you kind of go out there with what you think, you know, and, and then you get, you know, pretty humbled by the experience pretty quick when you're like, wow, there's a lot, there's a lot more to learn here. And then you spend after getting, you know, coming up short a couple of times, then you kind of get into the education cycle. Like we, we, we do a yeah. lot of, um, so we do a couple things at Eat Wild. We do like a hunter field skills workshop and, uh, where we take people out for a three day how to hunt workshop and give people the, the basics of where to start 
you know, particularly focusing on deer hunting, but, but kind of trends all over the place. But, uh, but, you know, we have a lot of people that come to that, that are kind of of the school that you suggest there, Bill, or just like, Hey, this is going to be a long journey. I'm going to find some mentors. I'm going to invest in it. And I'm going to, you know, put my full effort into it. And they come to us right at the beginning of their journey. And, and those folks are great. They're great learners and they're dedicated and they stay with us through all of our other workshops and courses. And, and, and eventually, you know, they have a successful outcome for, for hunting, but we get a lot of folks who have been trying to hunt for years. Like they've been doing, they've been at it for eight years and they're still haven't had a successful harvest. And they're like, Hey, this, this isn't working for me. I thought this would be easy. <laughs> and then they check into these mentorship programs that are out there. And um, yeah, so it's a totally, like, that's a great answer to, to what I'm looking for. Um, and, uh, and I like yeah, that, you, yeah. that you're able to mention the, the resources that are available, um, that, we we're building or eat wild we, we've built a couple of online courses now for e-scouting and and uh, we've got a few more in the can i'm just finishing our our elk hunting uh online course but it's it's not really focused on calling because uh it's more focused on you know how to access habitat and find elk and understand the population dynamics here in british columbia and and sort of getting you to the spot that the calling piece, I think, is done so well by other people. I think people are really invested in that component. That's more, you know, all elk kind of communicate the same way. So what you're doing or what Corey Jacobson is doing is probably is a really good resource for folks to to focus on that calling aspect because that's in itself a, a lifelong journey. And uh, so I'm, yep. yeah, excited to, yeah. To keep. Yeah, and I, I've recently... Uh... Um, became friends with Joe Giglia at Elk Bros, and he does a elk uh, coaching uh, deal where he actually brings on 20 hunters a year and goes through an entire year of coaching them and then puts boots on the ground and hunts with them and lets them do the decisions and the calling and all that, right? And then coaches them as they're going through that too. So, I mean, there's, I mean, you name it, whatever level you, of participation you want to take, you can. And he's a great guy. He's He's killed, you know, a lot of elk and he's very knowledgeable. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there and a lot of resources out there that you can tap into, uh, to, to get this because it's hard because a lot of, you know, I, what I'm finding is a lot of dads and grandfathers and uncles aren't hunting anymore and they're not taking their kids or nephews or grandkids out to teach them the, the, the trick of the trade. Right. And, um, and so like, if you want to get involved, how do you do it? You know, cause I learned from my dad you know, and he only was able to give me what he knew. Mm-hmm. And then I hunted with his friends and they gave me what they knew. Um, and, and so on, so on. Then I hunted with friends. I got what, you know, and, I, and I'm 52 years old, you know, and it's like, you gotta, you gotta humble yourself. You gotta be patient and you have to be open to others. ideas. I, I'm, I still love taking people, uh, duck hunting or elk hunting. I, I hunted with some new folks last year, elk hunting, and I learned a ton. You know, when I take somebody um, duck hunting, they may they may go, "Hey, why don't you put the decoys this way?" Instead of saying like, "No, last thirty years, this is how I've been doing it. And I'm not. That, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. I'll I'll do it and just see if it works." Because there's always something that people a little trick they might know or something they do that you're like, "Oh wow, never even thought about that." You know, and so be open to others' ideas. Don't get stuck in your ways and don't feel, don't like you know everything be an open book be a sponge and be um you know keep keep an open uh ear to what people have to offer and, and try it because you never know absolutely um yeah. okay i have a question so how, how do you know like how do you test your calls for how effective they are like how do you know well, a, how do you know that your elk call is a sexier elk call than say the hoochie mama you know <laughs> like you know <laughs> well i i you know I was a, when I first started, I, you know, I didn't have, you know, my dad was not an elk hunter. He was a rifle elk hunter. That's where I started was with my dad, rifle elk hunting. So we didn't do any calling. Um, and so I didn't have a, a, a great mentor when it was to pick up my bow. My daughter actually got me into it and, uh, she was watching hunger games and thought she was the girl on hunger games and wanted a bow. And so I took her elk hunting. And with that Primo's, we called in a, a really nice six by six and it was pretty, probably on accident, not knowing what we were doing. <laughs> right. And, uh, and from that time on, I've never picked my rifle back up, but, uh, so I started with the Hoochie Mama and I started with that Primo's call that you had mentioned. And, uh, 
So I have a lot of years experience with the Hoochie Mama. Um, and then last year, you know, we just came out with the Enchantress. So I said, you know what? I'm not using a mouth read and I'm only going to use the Enchantress. We called in seven bulls and killed three of them. And we hunted 17 days last year and we were chasing beagles 15 of those 17 days. Nice. Um, and, and those beagles came off of the, the Enchantress, you know, um, I was locating bugling with, you know, cause I think it's really loud cow calling. You just cup your hand over it yeah. and do a loud cow call. So I was locating bulls with the cow call with that thing. I was bugling with it. And, uh, so, I mean, it, to me, I wanted to do that so I can competently sell it, Yeah, you know, and stand behind the product. Now, do we have years of experience with it? No, but I know for a fact it works because we've used it. Yeah, for sure. And then we, yeah. We've had customers, gosh, I don't know if you, we've got some videos running right now where I think probably 10 bulls that we know got killed with that, with that tube last year. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So does it translate as well to the, the, have you, have you put it on the competition circuit there of, of uh, with the, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's not going to win any competitions while, well, you know, there was a kid uh, this year that won, uh, he won the youth division using it he used both the enchantress and uh in his voice to uh and he won the competition so um so yeah you know as far as the men's pros it's probably not going to win any when at that level probably won't win so yeah yeah no for sure okay so i got a few more questions for you and i'll I'll let you get out of here but i I, so like we brought out a bunch of us well we've been building relationships with sponsors and over the so the years we've been doing this podcast and one of the folks who's been on board is a seek outside gear. Do you know their stuff? They do TP tents, ultralight stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely know about their stuff. I've never used it, but I know of them. Oh yeah. No, they do a great job of, well, they're, they, they, for us, it was a game changer with their hot tents. They kind of came in and built the first TP tent that, that we saw on, in the market here and put a wood stove in it and made it light so we can, for me, it extends my hunting season. Um, or at least my ability to be warm and cozy into the into November and yep. staying relatively light and getting to leave the wall tent at home, which is a much bigger ordeal, right? So anyways, they've been great. Yep. So we have a I have a, a great gear question from our friends at Seek Outside. And aside from the calls that you would bring, um, what is some essential gear that you need to take hunting? Elk hunting specifically. What's your essential piece of gear for elk hunting aside from your calls? My essential piece of gear, I would say, gosh, my mind automatically went to boots. I just, you know, I do a lot of walking. I do, you know, we hike up steep terrain, down steep terrain. I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 250 pounds. So, you know, side hilling, you need a a really good boot so you don't blow out the side of it. Um, You're hard on your feet when you're my size. Uh, so boots is probably number one. Uh, two is, is clothing, of course. Like you want to be able to have a good layer system. If it's rainy or whatever the weather conditions are, you want to stay dry so you can stay out longer. Um, you want to stay comfortable and you're not sweating and all that stuff so you can stay out longer. Um, so I would say clothing would be number two. And then, you know, and then that's aside from a good bow that you could feel confident shooting and be accurate with. Um, and then, you know, thirdly, probably a good knife, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. in the event that you kill something, you don't want to be struggling with uh, trying to skin and, and gut a, an elk. What's your go-to on boots? What, what do you, what do you have the confidence in? Oh, I, uh, I have Zamberlins right now as what I'm running. I do have a pair of Krispies, um, but I'll tell you what, those I bought last year, I bought some Zamberlins and, uh, they, they fit me like a glove. And the problem with the, I have is my foot's a 13 and a half. And so after the size 12, you don't any, have any half sizes. Mm, okay. So to find a boot that runs a little bit big, you know, so I, at 14, my foot's too narrow for a 14. So I have to find a 13 that runs a little bit big okay. so that I'm not blown out the toe of it. Yeah. Well, I just got back from Italy. So lots of good things come from Italy. Including, I believe, yeah. Zamberland boots. Um, I think so. Anyways, yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, my my family's from Italy, so I'm I'm pretty. Uh, 
a lot of stuff I have is, is Italian, you know, my shotgun, I shoot a Benelli. And so if I can find something good, that's from Italy, I, I tend to use it. Well, so you're on right on. Okay. Our next question for you is, uh, okay. Now when you're out, uh, on a hunt, there's, uh, this is, a uh, our, our, one of our sponsors is uh beer brewing and it's actually B E E R E and, uh, is the name of the beer. So it's beer, beer. Um, and, uh, so what goes best with your deer question? So your favorite foraging item when you're out, out on the landscape, there's something else that you might want to cook up with your deer. If you're, if you're lucky enough, do you have another thing that you might forage for while out on a hunt? Oh man, that's a tough question. I'm not a forager, you know, like we, we pick, uh, mushrooms here in the springtime um but during the fall there's not a whole lot for us to forage uh you know for me if i can kill a deer and elk and i could put some tenderloins into a crock you know into a dutch oven let it stew all day on some some uh you know just let it stew with a nice cold beer and a hot you know maybe a, a baked potato and uh some some asparagus i i'm good to go that's right on that's right on. again that was the first time i tried yeah. to ask that question it didn't come off quite right but i i, I think I, I think it's gonna work okay um <laughs> okay well building on this question we go to our next question yeah. it's uh we have another sponsor called west coast kitchen canada which uh they do they do freeze-dried food um and and for backpacker food and they actually they make really good like actual healthy backpack food so you actually feel nourished on your trip as opposed to some of the some of the backpacker food kind of is diminishes your um yeah nutrition over time but can you tell us yeah. about one of your most memorable meals on a hunt in the backcountry something that sticks out for you yeah well i'm glad you brought that up because you know i feel like everything that the freeze-dried stuff is so i mean it's so salty I feel like it's full of nitrates and, and whatnot um so if we can get something that actually had good nutrients and wasn't so um, I don't know. They just give you more fuel than, than anything. And that'd be awesome. So if, if these folks are doing that, I'd like to look into it. Well, but it's good news. Cause my, you, you get a little, as a thank you to coming on the podcast, we ship out a couple things and it includes a package of their freeze dried food. So hopefully it'll make it oh, across the border. Be, and, uh, <laughs> uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, cool. yeah. I'd love to try it out. Yeah. So, but, uh, my, my, I, I have a go-to, like I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that when I find something good at a restaurant, I stick to it. So my most memorable thing is every time I go hunting, I don't eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches only when I go elk hunting. <laughs> and so I, so I carry with me is beef jerky, two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, just fat, fat ones too, with a bunch of jelly, a bunch of peanut butter. And then I, I got a, I got trail mix and then usually two power bars. That's my, my go-to. And I, I can, I can stay out there an entire day or two days if I have to on that. So, treat yourself to those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yeah i don't know why but out there they just you know it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich but uh for some reason i just i love not and then if it sits in my backpack for three days and starts like pushing through the bread yeah. it's even better it's, yeah it's just, it's just like it yeah. just hydrates constantly you don't the bread never goes stale yeah. because of the fat of all the all the goodness it gets to sort of saturate yeah the all the oils and jelly get in there yeah 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 cool cool okay well this this last question for you uh, this is from our friends at the, the uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, the, or the BC chapter of the Backcountry Anglers are, are, uh, are a sponsor of the podcast, and and um, we're pretty excited about what they're doing here in BC. I know they're, they're well-established down where, where you are, but they're a relatively new conservation organization here in BC, and they... Um, yeah, they're, they're actually really attracting a, a much younger demographic of, of hunters and conservationists. So it's, it's kind of exciting to see what they're up to here. Now, the question from them is, what would you, uh, what would be your ultimate dream hunt if you could come to British Columbia, hunt any species and hunt any way you'd want to hunt? Yeah, you know, I, I have, I know a lot of guys that would probably say going for sheep or goats, you know, um, but I would love to go kill an elk in British Columbia. You know, it's, you know, we can do that in Montana, Colorado, Utah, Idaho, right? But for some reason, uh, going to British Columbia and killing one of those elk up there, just, you know, different country, different place, different, you know, animal, even though it's the same animal, would be a dream hunt for me. Yeah. Do you have a place in mind in BC or an ecosystem that would get you fired up? No, it probably wouldn't be... Uh, 
it would probably be a Rocky Mountain elk, not a, a rosy. So probably somewhere more inland, not on the coast or where the where you guys have rosies, but somewhere you know in some really nice, sweet, um, secluded territory or or remote place where we can get into them either by horseback or hiking and and not see another hunter and, and get into a bunch of bugling bulls would be would be awesome. Well, if you find that spot, let me know because I I look for that spot every year. <laughs> Yeah, you're like it's got to exist, right? Oh man, it's like a never, it's a never-ending quest, right? So this, this is a thing that I have sort of that that I'm stuck on as an as an elk hunter too. Like, there's, um, do do you go back and hunt the same spots for elk year over year in your spots, or do you do you kind of move around a little bit and explore new places? No, I call it the milk run. Like, there's, you know, we hunted 17 days last year. We got into elk 15 of those days. I'm trying to think if any of those elk were in a different spot. And I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I find those elk in those same holes. It's just a matter of when it's not a matter of if they're going to be there. It's just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. So I'll bounce, I'll bounce from spot to spot, spot until I get one that wants to, and they're, they're there. It's just, do they want to play at that time? Yeah. Um, And then I just bounce until I find one that wants to play in one of those spots. Yeah. I was going to come back to that, but so this is something I've been working on is like, I love, well, as I was mentioning, like the spot that I've hunted for, for the first sort of 15 years of hunting elk has gotten grown in popularity. So it's kind of, and so my experience is just diminished there, uh, both because I had the luxury of hunting it without any other pressure and, and maybe not having as much success. But so I keep going exploring and I invest my two weeks of elk hunting in some other part of BC in pursuit of this dream of potentially finding a spot where there's no, no hunting pressure, lots of elk and lo- lovely terrain to hunt in. Looks like we gotta. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just no, had to no, shut no, the door no. of the dog. But, yeah, no, and just sort of continuing to uh, explore for that next spot. But typically, I find that my hunter success rate would, is much higher. In well, it is hundred percent much higher when I just stick with the same spot, kind of work in the same, like you say, a few holes that you have, and kind of work them until a bull, a bull cooperates, and then. And yeah, but then you don't get to explore new spots. It's a, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my goal every year is to find two to four, you know, preferably 10, 15. But if I can go and find two new drainages, two new places where I can go look for elk the following year, it's a success for me. So, you know, if I've been hunting 20 years, that's that's 40 new spots, right? Yeah. Um. So it's it's the long game. It's not the short game. Like I have to find thirty spots this year, right? Like it's not it's not uh, realistic. It's 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 doable if you hunt it all day every day. You know, maybe you could find thirty spots. But and if you're really good at e scouting and you got really strong legs or really good horses, um, but if I could find new, two new spots where I'm like, oof, like there was elk here, I probably be here again next year. You know then then i'm i'm successful right so all year long i'm looking i'm looking at google maps i'm i'm looking at uh, on x right i'm looking at dark just gnarly north facing northeast facing slopes that have good feed and water and you know um, hard access for people i'm looking for that and i go check them and you know seven out of ten times there's nothing there but if there is i'm like okay i, I mark it right yeah yeah so. for sure it's a trail of marks that we have um yeah in our uh, i have i hunter app i think you guys have onyx down there but we have something similar up here in canada that's uh yeah but my my i hunter is just a series of like elk like little elk uh on, on waypoints on icons on on my map as as i'm you know puzzling out the next place to go and whether it's the ground truth it next time or explore it for sure but uh do, do you have any insight the, the one thing that got me curious there was um was uh you know there's a the day that elk turn on like you 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 keep bumping into these different valleys looking 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 and then all of a sudden something fires up and the elk are there but they're maybe not turned on do you have any insight as to you know what triggers them to go from being silent to to firing up on a particular day oh you know i think early on there it's a pecking order thing you know they're still establishing their pecking order they're they're establishing their territories um they're starting to to uh to rob some cows right and create uh 
create their little harem there. But uh, so it's, it's, you know, that's going back to every situation is different. So mm-hmm. is this bull just trying to display dominance to say, Hey, this is my, my area. This is where I'm at. You know, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. Um, or does he have a hot cow, you know, and later on in, in September for us, hot cows are more prevalent. So you're going to get more of that. Like, you know, I've got a hot cow. I'm losing my mind. Just, you know, stay away from here. I'm, I'm making, I'm going to make this happen. You know, don't dare, you know, come into this, this here and, and try to breed my cow. So it's, it's just depending on the situation again, you know, and, and listening to the bugles because the bugles will tell you what they're, what they're doing, you know, whether it's a location bugle, whether it's a roundup bugle, you know, if they have cows or not, whether it's a, um, you know, it's a, you know, a display bugle to, you know, stay away from here. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fight you if you come in here type deal. So it's really listening to the different types of bugles and to tell you what, what that bull might be doing at that time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, countering it with, well, this is what he's saying. So I'm going to, you know, disobey what he's saying and, and piss them off, you know? <laughs> cool. And all that. So I'll learn all this in your, uh, in the calling course, right? If I, yep, yep. Okay. So call the wild. We'll go into more detail, more specifics about that. I can, I could talk for hours about that, but I'm sure you, you don't want to sit here all night. Oh, so. no, I could talk I'll call and strategy. I just I think yeah. I just try to figure out what translates best to the listeners, but I, I think it's important that the listeners always resources out there, right? And I think that it's a, you know, there's, if, um, I'm actually really keen because this is kind of perfect that I'm talking to you and I, I didn't actually stumble on your, on your calling course until after we'd set this up and as I was doing a bit more research, uh, and uh, so I'm excited to check it out because it's kind of the, the missing piece for me as well, like that those found foundational pieces of the actual calling components. So I'm I'm excited to jump on board with that. If people want to find that course and uh, and find your calls, how would they how would they find your stuff? Yeah, if they just go to slayercalls.com, um, just Google that in or type it straight into your your URL, uh, slayercalls.com, and um, you can go there and look at all the different calls that we have. You can go to videos of how to use those calls. You can go to the call the wild to learn the calls and take the course. Um, and we're going to, you're going to be adding to that course too. We'll be adding gear, like what type of boots do you, you know, how to choose boots and why, why one boots better than the other or backpacks and, you know, all the different things, you know, I've wasted thousands of dollars on gear that didn't work. So we're going to try to help people not waste money and buy stuff. That's going to work, work, you know, in the field. So, yeah, I think that, that was a comment that we we did a, our first bow hunting workshop this year and the guy what well, the guy in the feedback notes we sent a survey i was like i think you guys saved five thousand dollars because i would have bought oh, all yeah. this gear just based on the research he was doing and then when he got a chance to talk to folks that he well he found some mentorship and said oh no you don't need to do that or you don't need to do that or if you're going to do it go this way and i mean i think that that mentorship and supporting people's purchases especially when it's not like from a brand necessarily saying, Hey, buy, buy our boots or buy our whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot of things you don't need to buy to be a, a successful hunter. Right. So. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too. You think you need all this stuff, but you know, like you, the first question, what's the bare essentials, right? Yeah. And then uh, start from there. Don't, you don't have to break the bank to get involved in this. And I would like to offer to your listeners that, you know, if you go to info at slayercalls.com, and you just want to talk shop, if you have questions about any of this stuff, if you want to talk to Cody McCarthy about calling, and if you're struggling with something, he'll jump on the phone with you. That's one thing that we're trying to do is be 100% accessible or people you know accessible to the our customers or people that are interested. He'll, he loves jumping on the phone and giving some tutorials. Um, his dad, Joe McCarthy's probably killed, I don't know, 30 elk himself and has probably called in 40 elk for people that, that have been killed, um, maybe more, maybe 60. Um, so, I mean, the guy's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he'll jump on the phone with you. So feel free to reach out to us. Um, and we'll, we'll make it happen. And, you know, we're super busy, but we will, we'll, we will return your phone call and have a conversation with this. So I'd love to put that out there because our number one goal is this, it's three things, right? It's one is to continue the sport of hunting and, and, um, offer that to anybody who wants to get involved it's to conserve our our wild lands for our our animals so that we can continue hunting um, and just to keep them around is a good thing and then thirdly just be good people with great customer service and stand behind our products so if you don't like it we'll take it back right on so. 
Right on. Well, this has been really yeah. fun. I, 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 I'm excited to spend more time with this, this elk call. I'll be taking it up north with me this year into the Rocky Mountains, and uh, I'll be keeping in touch. So, um, but yeah, if, uh, it, yeah. Anyways, I really appreciate being on here, Bill. Don't, don't go away. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut down the, the uh, record here, and we'll just have a debrief here quickly. Okay. But, but yeah, thanks so much for coming Sounds on. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, Burst Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast that'd be a great help to us and more importantly share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about so thanks for doing that until next time eat well and wild well.